I'm not sure if that was me pressing that button, but that was quite well timed. And we've had a series called Sent that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, um, well, the last three weeks, actually. We started off looking at how Jesus called 70 disciples to him, in addition to the, the first 12. Um, and then last week, we were looking at how, how Jesus... Um, gave the Great Commission, giving that message of sent to everyday normal people, telling them to go to all parts of the world and talk about the faith that they have in him. And today we're on our last one, which has got a very sceptical title. It's called Scattered. Um, today we're going to be looking at, at Acts 8 verses 1 to 4. So if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to pop that open. Um, I'll read them out and they will appear on the screen. But we're going to be looking at how Jesus's followers sort of dissipated at this point in time. We'll go on to explain why and what that means. Oh. It wasn't me. The video works. So Acts 8, uh, 1 to 4 says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. We're going to be sort of focusing in on one question this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian when the world makes it hard? That is the main message from this verse in Acts. What does it mean to love God and follow him? Have him speak into our lives when it's not easy. And we've heard earlier today in the testimonies, those amazing stories of life, how hard it can be, how hard it can be to seek God, to chase after him and have him in our lives with all of the humanness and our humanness around. There's a, there's a promise that we ask of people when they get baptised. And you can summarise it into something around this. Do you promise to love God and follow him for the rest of your life with the help of the Holy Spirit? And that's the main thing about Christianity. If we were to try and squish it into nutshells, and that's what we do when we speak about God, we try and condense it, but... It's asking us that question. Do we think we could do life with God with his help? And it comes from a place of admitting that maybe we need help. And, and I think most of us would be quite happy to admit in some ways we do need help. I need help. Um, and it comes from one of these things. We're not good enough on our own because we need God's forgiveness. We're not strong enough on our own. We need the church family around us. We're not brave enough on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to equip us. And again, we heard parts of that in the testimonies about the love of church, the power of the Holy Spirit in breaking things, uh, worldly things apart, but also that recognition that God is Lord. And it all comes back to that promise that we might have made when we got baptized, we might have made when we first became a Christian. So the book of Acts, the thing that we're looking at today, is basically a diary response to that question, what does it mean to love God and have him speak in your day-to-day life? If you've got a spare hour or two in the week, 
have a read through Acts. It's not that big. Um, but it's this, it's this catalogue of what it means to chase after God, what it means as a Christian to love God and see him at work. And the answer can be summarised. You'll be quite happy to hear this very early on in the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, the answer to you, how do we do this, is simply put. And it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are not alone. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. It says in Acts 1a, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And because of that, not because of ourselves, not because of the things that we've done or the things that we can create ourselves to be, because of that and that alone, we're able to do amazing things. We're able to live lives of worship. We're able to to speak truth where our own humanness wouldn't allow us to. And we're able to see God do amazing things. And we see this in the book of Acts in multiple ways. It's it's like a nice little catalogue of church growth. That's what Acts is about. It's about people discovering God and the church growing. Because the apostles early on gathered themselves together and they went from being a group of people that loved God on their own to a group of people recognizing God's mission. And they gathered more around them and they sought to to help the needy, the lost and the broken as they spoke about God. And then they got a few more and they decided they were going to sell their possessions collectively, which is a pretty big step. So they could do more work and more work. And it got to a point where Stephen in Acts 8 that we just read, Stephen who was sort of overseeing that particular ministry is killed, and they get stuck, and they get a little bit lost, and they move around. But there's some really important things to remember in that moment, which might seem really strange, and it might be a bit odd to you as to why we're focusing on these four verses, which don't really seem that sort of uplifting on a baptism service. And it's because of this. The people that are, are scattered, so it says the disciples scatter when, uh, when Stephen is killed. They're scattered to different countries, or the different parts of where they are. God uses this. More people in more places are now able to hear his message. They didn't just scatter, they spoke about the love that they had for God. They didn't keep his message and his promise to themselves. They spoke about him, so more people were able to experience the presence of God in their lives, and the church grows. The other thing that's really interesting, and if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a little while, you might have recognized the name Saul in that first part of the Bible reading. Saul killed Stephen, and he goes out and he goes on to hunt many more Christians, and he did a very good job at killing Christians. But the important thing to remember is that Saul becomes Paul. And Paul is one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament. Paul is the one who we preach about, or his, his relationship and his guidance from God is the one that we preach about most Sundays in most churches because of the impact that he had on the Christian faith. He becomes one of the most influential Christians ever, other than Jesus. And the church grows. And when we go back to our our promises that we might have made or the promises that we heard this morning about choosing to love God, to see God at work in our lives, it goes back to the, the as early as the apostles to seek to love God and have him speak into their day-to-day life. 
These people that scattered knew the promise that they'd made to God, that they would continue to do that despite where they were going. Promises are weird though, aren't they? Anyone else think promises are weird? I think there's two types of promises, right, in our lives. When we think about the promises that we might have made or maybe the promises that we should have made, um, I think promises fall into, into two camps. There's the promises that you, you want to make because you've got to make them, right? And then there's the promises that you make that you would have made even if anyone hadn't asked you to do. Are you with me? No. Or not. I'm going to give you some, uh, some analogies now that might make you think a little bit less of me. Okay, so promises that we want to make, uh, sorry, promises that we have to make that we don't want to make, okay? So has anyone else got a driving license or still got a driving license? When you do your driving license, you sort of, you commit to not speeding, right? You promise to abide the laws of the road. That's what you do on your theory test. Who speeds? No, won't do that. Um, <laughs> There's other promises that we make that we don't want to make, like maybe when you're doing your employee handbook contract at work, you might promise not to spend most of your working day flicking through Instagram using their Wi-Fi. Uh, We won't go into that. Or the worst promise that we make that we don't really want to make. Who has ever promised that they will not finish the last bit of ice cream when their friend or partner goes to bed? That is a promise that you make that you don't want to make, isn't it? There's promises that we make that we would quite gladly make, that we wouldn't even need to promise to make. The promises that we make to people when we fall in love. The promises we make to a friend when they're going through a really tough time and we say we'll call them every day or we'll check up on them or we'll pray for them. Or there's the promise that we make to God where we say we will live our lives for him. For us today, becoming a Christian might have no immediate consequence on your day-to-day life. If you have a faith that doesn't impact your life, you might need to ask yourself the question, what it means to you in the first place. Those early followers of Jesus, the, the ones that we read about in Acts, the ones that are scattered, knew the cost of the promise that they had made to Jesus because they'd seen it. The very early disciples had seen their friend on a cross. The ones that followed had seen what had happened as persecution came about as they sold their possessions. It was a real cost to their their commitment to Jesus to see his kingdom come on earth. They sold their land. They sold things. There was a person that sold a jar um, that maybe didn't disclose a full amount, um, and something strange happens to him, but we won't go into that. Um, Those that followed afterwards saw the cost as they were scattered. People in this church today know the cost of what it means to say yes to God because of the amount of evenings they spend running activities, praying for the work, drawing model after model after model of building plans or of strategy as we seek to do the one thing that the early apostles did in these verses. And that's help other people know the love of God and encounter him and his presence for themselves. We go through life making promises, and they don't come easy. And that's sometimes why we can honestly say yes to them. The ones that have a cost are often the ones that are easiest to say yes to because we know what it is that we're getting into. Like when we say we will love someone. Like when we say that we love God, we want to live for him. 
We, luckily, aren't put in a situation where our lives are at risk. But these, these Christians knew the cost. They knew that they were going to live lives of relative hardship. Up until this point in Acts, being a Christian had been relatively easy. It's never been a walk in the park. But post-Jesus, people came to know God and lived out their lives for him. And it was, it was okay-ish up until this point. This is the point where it changes and, and they are persecuted and they flee. So what does it mean to to love God and have him speak into our day-to-day lives? Lives when the world around us makes life seem a little bit difficult. Or it can feel like a struggle, maybe, sometimes. A disappointment in the reality that we'd expected. Um, There's a quote from Phil Yancey, who's got a bigger brain than me. Um, And he says this, There's one thing worse than disappointment with God, and it's disappointment without God. Struggle is a disappointment in the reality that we had expected. In times, it's it's really important, in those times, in times of struggle, it's really important to consider who you've got around you and what it is that you're clinging to. Are we clinging to the world that we make for ourselves? Are we clinging to the existence that we've really carefully curated and planned out and hoped for and dreamt for? Or are we clinging to God? Are we clinging to God's plans? Are we clinging to the friends that God's put around us that will pray for us and encourage us? Are we looking to him and his purposes? Last thing. Acts 1.8 again. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria and all the ends of the earth. We don't do this on our own. It's not about us. It's not about our lives. We aren't good enough on our own. We need God's forgiveness. We're not strong enough on our own. We need the church family around us, and we are not brave enough on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, God's presence promised to us, with us each day. That is what enables anyone to do anything that's a Christian. God is with us by our Holy Spirit. God loves you. God's with you. God wants to use you. Amen. We're going to go into a time of sung worship now. So if you'd like to...